listening to Law and Gospel on this April the 25th in the year of our Lord, 2022. It's a Monday. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom, we like to take a look at a reading or two for the following Sunday in preparation. And that's the third Sunday of Easter. Now, Easter season, there's a number of things that are different than Lent. And number one, there's parts of the liturgy that we omitted during Lent that we now sing. We also are able to do the Alleluias. And then you can also, if you have one, put on the Christ candle during the season of Easter. And finally, the first reading during the Sundays of Easter is not from the Old Testament as is the rest of the year, it's from the book of Acts. And this particular Sunday, it's the conversion of Silas to Paul, uh, Saul to Paul. And so um, we're not going to be taking a look at that. We're going to be looking at John chapter 21. And there's another verse that really needs to be brought in to help you understand John chapter 21 fully. So without further ado, John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. This is Jesus having been resurrected from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples two Sundays in a row. Then verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So, After the resurrection, we have seven of the disciples together. And Simon Peter says to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out onto the sea, got into the boat, and tried to fish. But guess what? That night they caught nothing. Then verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now, why they did not know, it could have been the distance, although it wasn't that far, because we're going to find out that Peter jumped in the water and swam to him. Or it could be that occasionally, Jesus hides his image that is recognized. I can think of two cases after the resurrection. One was when at the tomb, one of the women thought he was a gardener and said, where did they take the body of Jesus? Did not recognize him at first. The other one, and this is even more interesting, on the road to, um, well, when the disciples had a Bible study with Jesus 
uh, on the road to Emmaus. They had a talk with him for a number of hours, did not recognize him until he sat down to eat with them later on. Now, how that happens, maybe he hid his visage, who knows? At any rate, at this case, the disciples did not recognize him. And Jesus calls out to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So this kind of reminds us of something, doesn't it? Now this text is John chapter 21. But the other text is Luke chapter 5. John chapter 21 occurs after his resurrection. Luke chapter 5 is at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus when he calls the disciples. And we'll get to Luke 5 in a moment. But at any rate, back to John 21, they cast the net on the right side and they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Then verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that is the way that the writer of the gospel, John, often describes himself because there's no doubt that John was loved by Jesus. Remember, at the cross, he gave John the responsibility of taking care of his mother. And he became the son of Mary, so to speak, and she became his mother. Because at that time, the family of Jesus really did not believe what he was and who he was and what he was doing. At any rate, John, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, that's John chapter 21. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, the fishermen are out fishing. Jesus tells them to lower the net into the water. And once more, there's such a quantity of fish that it almost starts drowning the boat. What does Peter do? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So you would imagine that going back to John chapter 21, when John tells Peter, it is the Lord, when Simon Peter heard that, he would have yelled out to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But guess what? He doesn't. It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for working, that is on the boat and fishing, and threw himself 
into the sea, while the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. They were about a hundred yards off. Now, a hundred yards, that's, what, the length of a football field. And I can imagine that if you were in the end zone of the field and looked all the way over to the other end zone, you might not be able to recognize the person in the other end zone because of the distance. But it still was swimmable. But isn't that interesting that in the first miracle in Luke 5, Peter, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But in John 21, he doesn't, he not only does not tell Jesus to depart from him, he actually swims to him. Now, what's the difference? This is where we understand the difference of the resurrection. Because the resurrection could have been an occasion when Jesus rose from the dead to return to the disciples to punish them because they had deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane, to punish Peter because he had denied Jesus three times in the courtyard of Pontius Pilate when he was asked, do you know this man Jesus, weren't you with him? And and once he even swore that, no, I don't know this man. But Peter does not stay away from Jesus. He jumps in the water and returns to him. It's the difference between living under the law and living under the gospel. When you live under the law, you are well aware that you do not meet the requirements that God gives. Now, in our society, there are many who decide that the requirements that are so clear in the Bible about how to live together between men and women, what marriage is, etc., that they reject these requirements and make up their own. And therefore, they are departing from Jesus and his word, but not because they think they're so sinful, but because Jesus is so wrong uh, about like a marriage between just a man and a woman. That's a departure from God. And they should therefore expect negative consequences. In Bible study, We're kind of going through the book of Proverbs right now. And Solomon talks to his son a number of times. And every time he gives instruction, the word in the Hebrew can also be translated as discipline. Because there is no son born of human beings that is not a sinner. So instruction often is discipline towards the child in helping them to live a life that is not contrary to the word of God. And that's why in Proverbs, 
Solomon really shows his son the negative consequences of living in sin. So when you're living under the law and you become aware of how sinful you are, then you really don't want to see Jesus because you know that he is not happy with you in your sinful situation. And the devil gets you to wonder whether or not you're even going to be saved. I write a book, uh, and it's something I hadn't read for a while. It's a number of years ago I put it out. But I'm taking a look at it, uh, and I was reading part of it, the prologue, and I was surprised at how good it was because I had forgotten what some of the things I wrote about. See, this is why you go to church. It's kind of like the women at the grave. Where is the body? And the two angels remind the women, well, remember he told you he would die in Jerusalem and be raised in three days. And then the Bible says, and they remember that saying of Jesus. So they rush back to the apostles to give them the information that Jesus is not in the grave, that he is resurrected. And because they are women, the, well, disciples believe it's an idle tale and they don't believe it. In fact, Peter rushes to the tomb, looks in, sees that it's empty, and all it says is he marveled. In other words, he was astounded, but could not explain what was happening. So getting back to Luke 5 and John 21, we have Peter, when he is under the law, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, in the book that I wrote, I love talking about questions. And I asked, what is a synonym for sin? Is it understood as disobedience? Is it understood as unfaithfulness? Or is it understood as idolatry? And I show that depending on which one you think is correct, then the opposite would be how to get on God's good side. For example, if you say that sin is disobedience, how do you get on God's good side? You become obedient. By the way, that's the way of every world religion outside of Christianity. Find me a religion that doesn't have a set of commandments not to inform you of what pleases God, but what you are to do in order to be saved. You're saved by your works in every other religion. In Christianity, that is not correct. You're saved by works, but they are not your works. They are the works of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He paid the full cost of the punishment and the pain that you would have had 
deservedly in hell itself. And that's why when you live under the law, it's very hard to approach God because you know you are not worthy because of your sin. So either you think, well, God is wrong in what he's saying, for example, about marriage, and therefore I can marry, I can be with anybody I want, uh, even of the same gender. Or you realize that what you're doing is a sin, and therefore it's really hard for you to go to church. Because when you go to church, you feel like you're under judgment. Well, you have to understand that being under judgment can be a good thing. It's God's way of reminding you that you fall short of the glory of God, and therefore you need a Savior, a Savior who does not fall short of the glory of God, and that's Jesus with his incarnation, and therefore one who paid for your sins. That's Jesus with his crucifixion. And yet, were his sins sufficient? Well, that's Jesus who has been raised from the dead as evidence from the Father that what he said, it is finished, is absolutely true. Every other religion in the world outside of Christianity keeps trying to finish the work of their salvation by their own good works, and therefore they reject the message of Jesus Christ. Well, Peter had come to a knowledge of Jesus that not only had he been raised from the dead, not only had he not brought judgment against Peter because of his sins of betrayal, but he had brought the forgiveness of sins and restored Peter as an apostle to the people. That made Peter very happy, and therefore he had a totally different view of God than many have in other religions who are afraid of God because they have sinned and fall short. So in your sermon, in your Bible class, etc., if you're using John 21, always remember Luke 5 because you have a tremendous difference between Peter, who was living under the law, thinking that he gets saved by his works, and therefore, when he was confronted by the miracle of Jesus, depart from me, Lord. It's not that Peter probably thought Jesus was God. That didn't come about till after the resurrection. But he thought he was a great prophet, a great man, a powerful man, and therefore Peter was not worthy to be in his presence. But here, when he's out fishing, and the same miracle occurs, and John tells him, it is the Lord, he can hardly wait to get to the Lord. And that verse 7, he jumped into the water to get to swim to Jesus. 
Well, the other disciples, as I said, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, because they weren't far from the shore, about a hundred yards off. And in verse 9, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. So this was kind of the makings of a breakfast. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish and even tells the number of fish, 153. Now, there's nothing sacred about that number, like the numbers 7 or 12, etc., referring to perfection, uh, the sign of the Holy Spirit, etc. They just numbered the fish that they had caught. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Now, normally with 153 fish, the net would be torn because that was just too heavy an amount to be in the net. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, in this case, not one of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Now, what does that remind you of? That reminds you of another miracle. They were on a boat in the middle of the sea. There was a large storm, and boy, it looked like the boat was sinking. The disciples were working hard to keep the water out, but Jesus was asleep on the boat. They woke him up. Don't you care? We are perishing. And Jesus referred to them as having little faith. What did that mean? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you know that Jesus is not going to die on a lake. He's going to die on a cross pierced in hands and feet. He's going to be whipped. People are going to be mocking him. So if they knew the Old Testament and believed those promises, they wouldn't be telling Jesus we're about to perish because they would have known they were not outside of Jerusalem on the Golgotha Hill. So what does Jesus do? He stands up in the boat and says to the water, peace be still. The waves stop, the wind stops, and the storm stops. And what do the disciples say then? Who is this man who has control over wind and wave? In this case, after having caught 153 fish, it says none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? And then it explains why. This is verse 12 of John 21. They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, 
and so with the fish. And John even reminds us, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first time was, of course, Easter evening, when Thomas was not there. The second time was the following Sunday, when Thomas was there, and he proclaimed when he recognized that it was Jesus risen from the dead, my God and my Lord, referring to Jesus as God. And though Jesus said, if you want to touch me, you can do so, it appeared that Thomas did not touch him. But Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And guess what? That's all of us. None of us have seen Jesus. And yet, we believe when he is present. And probably one of the most important experiences we have where Jesus is present and we do not see him is when we receive the body and blood of Jesus under the forms of bread and wine in Holy Communion. And we come forward having confessed our sins because we live after the resurrection. We live under the gospel where the words of Jesus are true for us, that our sins are forgiven and God does not hold us accountable for sins. For when we die, we in a sense return to the Garden of Eden, the new heaven, to live with Jesus forever and ever. On the next Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, With High Delight, Let Us Unite. That'll be on tomorrow's broadcast. Join with us. I'm Tom Baker. Thank you so much for listening. And listen how you can also support this program. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.